To Barbarian Noetics, the podcast dedicated to the human spirit. I'm your host, Conan Tanner. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Barbarian Noetics after a little bit of a hiatus, a little three-week hiatus. I've uh, done a little bit of traveling this month, 
So uh, a little bit off schedule on the pod, but we're going to get it out there. And, uh, you know, I always I think about you guys. Really appreciate you. Really appreciate my Patreon uh, supporters and ev- all my listeners. So thank you so much um, for bearing with me and being a part of the podcast. Um, I went to Las Vegas for a friend's wedding, so that was really fun. I stayed on Fremont Street, which is like the old Vegas. Um, so there's like the Strip, and then a few miles north, there's Fremont Street, uh, which is like a little seedier, a little grittier. Um, and I was just like, I was really struck by like, for some reason, I love Las Vegas, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense considering like who I am, kind of. Like, I typically am not really one for like, I don't know, like baseless glitz and glamour and like the veneer of things. Like, I like substance and uh, I like the wilderness and like nature and stuff. Uh, and Vegas is obviously incredibly urban, and you know everything is like shiny and there's just like the little. Uh, fucking slot machines everywhere so it's like beep boop boop beep boop boop beep boop 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 beep boop boop just beep boops just everywhere constantly but it's like it's such a cacophony of sound that it kind of like all becomes sort of white noise like so for me anyways like I was there for four days and before I left people are like god you're gonna be in Vegas for four days that's a really long time and I was thinking like shit maybe it is a really long time but it flew by and I was like super bummed to leave and partially that's obviously because I was catching up with friends that I hadn't seen in like 10 years, uh, friends from uh, college on the East Coast. Some of my favorite people in the whole world I hadn't seen in a really long time. And so, I mean, partially, obviously, mostly it's that, right? But there's also just like something else about Las Vegas and it's hard to put into words exactly, but um, I was talking with someone, a a really, really intelligent, skilled uh, author that I met I don't know if you're listening right now. Hello, if you are. Um, And she was talking about, like, how there's, like, that... So Vegas is all about, like, this idea of luxury, but it's not really, like... It's not actually luxurious. (laughs) Like, it's it's actually incredibly affordable. Like, I don't gamble, uh, and I don't drink. So they expect you to spend all your money on gambling, um... They expect you to drink a bunch and then gamble too much, and that's how they're going to get all their money. So if you don't gamble, you just end up getting these killer deals. Like I was uh, right in the heart of Fremont Street, like at one of the main anchors of the the little area, uh, the Four Queens Casino. I was up on the 16th floor. My room looked out on like the the Fremont sign and everything, and it was great. It was great, and I it was I got a really good deal for it. Um, and so it's like. Yeah, there's this, Vegas is all about the hustle. It's all about the hustle. And like, there's something very American about it. Um, about like, just figuring out a way to make it work, being creative with like, here's the thing. So everybody knows, like a scam is, what is a scam if everyone knows it's a scam? You know what I mean? Like everything in Vegas is trying to scam you, but like, it doesn't make any, it doesn't try to hide it. It doesn't make any bones about it. It's like, it's literally like come to Vegas so we can try to scam you and people love it. They're like, yes, I can't wait to try to get scammed for people to try to scam me. You know, like everybody knows that the house always wins. 
everybody knows that you just like burn money gambling i mean okay so obviously there are gambling addicts and i'm not like overlooking that and i'm not belittling that so that is a separate issue uh addiction to gambling separate issue that's a bummer and i did see uh you know you see that desperation you see the people the broken people that have just like destroyed themselves uh gambling uh so that's a bummer right so that sucks but it's like no matter where you are you're gonna see desperation and poverty and you know whether it's like alcohol addiction or drug addiction or gambling addiction you know any sort of addiction that sucks up all your resources and destroys your life is obviously a bummer so um you know i think it's good that there are so many resources available for for people who are you know have have gambling problems um and I did run into, so they have a bike share program there. And um, I, all my friends were staying on the strip and I'm staying in Fremont. So it's like a $15 Uber ride back and forth, kind of adds up after a while. So I was like, oh, I'll just sign up for the bike share and you know, commute back and forth on my bike. And it was a great idea until I realized that the, the, it's a silly bike share program. It's not just like, you can't just like rent a bike and use it you have to like return it. They have these hubs, you know, where you park the bike and you, they give you, okay, you pay like 10 bucks and then you get unlimited rides. So I'm like, yay, unlimited rides. But then you look at the fine print and it's like, you get unlimited 30 minute rides. And then you have to repark the bike and recheck it out every 30 minutes or else you start getting charged like four bucks for every additional half hour. So it's like, it just became stressful as fuck. Cause I'm like, oh, I gotta like make sure like watching the clock and every 25 minutes I have to find another port to like, it's silly. Like I'm, I'm the type of cyclist, like I'll go for hours. You know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to every like set a timer and have to like repark my bike and re recheck one out every 25 minutes. And then also they don't even have the ports at the strip. So they only have the ports around Fremont and around like that Northern area and they don't have any, like you cross this bridge to get to the strip and they don't have any on the other side of the bridge, which I didn't realize. So I'm like going across the bridge and going all over the place. And then I like look on the map, it has like this app. I download this app. I really did quite sink like a little bit of time into this. It was a little bit annoying, but, and I'm looking like, where's the next port? There's no ports anywhere. It's all back where I came from. So I had to bike all the way back. I still got hit with like an extra charge and then I had to Uber anyways, it was annoying minor but annoying um silly like i don't know you know if you're gonna if you're gonna do it do it right vegas like fuck like i get it like people are drunk and stuff around the strip but you can put bike ports around there it's not the end of the world you can figure out a way to do it you know i mean i was talking to one uber driver he's like yeah people get <laughs> I, this is not my term this is what he said he's like people get mowed down all the time in front of the bellagio like pedestrians you know because there's just like so much traffic and so it's yeah, some people are going to get hit on their bikes. Uh, that's a bummer, but it's like, if you're going to do the bike share, do it right. Anyways, I'm rambling on the bike share thing. The whole reason I brought it up is because as I was crossing the bridge, I was confused. Uh, I was incredibly stoned because they have <laughs> Vegas has legal weed now, which is fucking awesome. So it's like fully recreational. Uh, the dispensaries are like the size of arenas and you go in and it's just like, 
it's fantastic. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> like I'm very specific on what I like. I like like 60, 40, 70, 30 Indica to Sativa hybrids. And it's like, I just had like cases and cases of different ones to choose. They have, uh, I don't know if you all know this, but Mike Tyson has a huge, Mike Tyson's in the, the weed game now and he has a huge ranch, uh, Tyson ranch where he just grows like, I mean, obviously it's not him. He's got shit tons of people working for him, but they, they, they grow like just enormous amounts of amazing weed. And they were selling Mike Tyson's weed. I got to try that. It was really good. No surprises there. Um, I really want to go. I know they have like festivals and like hip hop festivals and stuff on the Tyson Ranch. I really want to check it out. I find Mike Tyson to be an interesting story of like redemption. Like I, I love I love redemption stories. And I don't know if this is going to irritate some people because I understand that, uh, you know, when Mike Tyson was a madman and saying all those horrible things like pretty bad and he did not treat women well, and he actually admits it. He's like, I did not treat women well, and he, he was a fucking asshole, you know what I mean? But um, he also, he had a really fucked up childhood, and then his only, like, mentor in life was his boxing coach, who he said used to hypnotize him into, like, rage states. Like, he said that his, this boxing coach was, it was a really good boxing coach. I mean, he made Mike Tyson the fucking, the greatest heavyweight of his time, but he would, like, hypnotize him and like channel all of his rage and anger at the world into the person he was facing in the ring and he just became like a beast like a monstrous testosterone filled beast and uh you know then he had his fall from grace he partied too much he fucked up he bit Evander Holyfield's ear he got his ass kicked he you know and but now he has his own podcast um I'm not like trying to fucking advertised for Mike Tyson right now but I just do think he's an interesting person he has his own podcast now he's I love his podcast because he always interviews rappers that I really like like he had uh, Trey the Truth on he's one of my favorites from Houston and he had Vic Mensa from Chicago and um, I love it I, I like listening to the chats and um, so I really want to go to one of his hip hop festivals where he has these guys perform like the best of the best uh, perform on Tyson Ranch and they have these like fucking festivals I think that would be a blast anyways the dispensaries in Vegas are the size of arenas, and I'm walking around. I literally hit the dispensary first before I even went to my room, so I flew in and then took an Uber directly to the, the biggest dispensary in the, in the city. <laughs> if you're going to do it, do it right. Um, and obviously, I'm like, well, this is pretty great, but it's pretty overpriced. Like, everything is really pricey, Like, uh, which I guess I shouldn't be surprised about, but I was a little bit like, well, I can't really, no, can't really get very much because it's just I can't pay this much for it it's ridiculous and this dude this local guy sees me he, he like read on my face he like read my mind he comes up to me he's like pretty expensive huh I'm like yeah it's really pricey he's like yeah he's like there's deals for the locals only so um and he shows me his phone and he's like here here's all the deals uh that they like they only tell like locals about so they don't care like you either know about the deals or you don't. So just go and talk to a bud tender and just be like, I want this. And he showed me like the, the best deal available at the time. He's like, tell, tell him you want that. And, uh, and that's the best deal right now. And he told me what to get and all this stuff. It was really great. He was really nice. I'm like, thank you for helping me. He's like, well, that's the spirit of cannabis, right? I'm like, yeah, you're right, actually. It's not all about just like predatory capitalism and just trying to like milk as much, you know, green frog skins as you possibly can from people the whole, whole culture is really about sharing and chilling out and uh not drinking too much alcohol yay anyways um so i'm smoking this mike tyson weed i'm on this bike share thing i'm trying to put port trying to repark it every half an hour it's fucking chaotic 
and I'm crossing the bridge and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. I was trying to find the Paris, the, yeah, I think it's called the Paris Casino. That was where all my friends are at. And so there's a gentleman right in the middle of the bridge. It was very cinematic. He was right in the middle of the bridge and he was walking his bicycle. He was like in his, looked like he was like maybe in his fifties, Caucasian male. Um, I didn't get like any sort of like sketchy vibe from him. Like I, I got like a very like kind, like he's, he was a kind guy. His eyes were like filled with kindness, but also like a really deep sadness. And so he, I asked him like where the Paris casino is and he told me and stuff. And then he's, this is his exact words. He's like, Hey, um, I'm a little funny on my money right now. Can you spare a buck? And I was like, I really wish I could. I don't have any cash on me right now. I'm really sorry. But, um, I saw the same guy like two days later in the casino at the slot machine. And I'm just like, Oh God, like, so that is not fun. And that's really sad. And, you know, he was like a fit, you know, functional man who was just everything was gone down the can from gambling. And I didn't talk to him any, I wasn't going to like pry and like ask about his life and stuff, but it would have been interesting to know his story, um, how he got to that point where he's walking his bicycle across, you know, this bridge between the strip and Fremont street without any money. And then goes back to the casino as soon as he gets a couple bucks. Um, so that's a horrible cycle and that's not fun. So anyways, I mean, I can't ignore it, right? That's part of it. So, but getting back to like this idea of, I use the term blue collar gamesmanship. And that's kind of like how I see a lot of Vegas is like, there's so many street performers and just like, you know, there's girls everywhere. And, but like, it's very much, and maybe I'm like rose colored glass, rose colored glasses seeing this. Is that an adjective? I'm seeing this through rose colored glasses, but like, so on Fremont Street, they have these, they have circles like painted on the street. And so there's like, you can perform inside the circles and people aren't allowed to go in the circle. The circle is like a safe space. And um, people were respectful of it. Like I didn't see anyone, anyone be an asshole about it. So there's like half naked girls and they're dancing around and stuff. But you know, like I didn't get this idea of like exploitation or anything from what I saw. Like what I saw is just like, you know, they were, they were performers, like almost like, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the, I want to, I don't want to say vaudeville, but that's not it. It's the burlesque. They were like burlesque. Like they had these elaborate costumes and doing all these cool dance moves. But my favorite part was in the morning. <laughs> so at night, you know, there's the half naked girls and everything is razzle dazzle. But in the morning, I loved getting up at like 8, 9 a.m. and walking down Fremont Street because there's hardly anyone out. Everyone is sleeping, right? But so it's like you got the whole street to yourself and there's there are pr performers in the circles, but it's like it's like the grit. It's the real deal. Like there was this like obese woman who was in a thong and nothing else. And she was like undulating her fat and it was amazing. Like I was really like captivated by it. And I'm not saying that in like a condescending way. Like it was fucking awesome. Like she was like, literally, it was like the most fluid thing I've ever seen in my life. And also like, that just takes balls. You know what I mean? Like talk about body positivity. I was really impressed with that lady. I gave her a couple bucks. Um, 
and and then there's like there was one dude who was painted he 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 was on a bicycle frozen and he had painted his whole body like metallic including his hair was like like I really I knew that he was not a statue I knew that it was a thing but I he really looked like a statue like even really close up like he did an incredible job and like how much time does that take like that's commitment man like his whole face and everything and and then when you give him a dollar he like he'll he moves and he does like a thumbs up sign so he like well you know he moves from his little statue thing when you give him a dollar it's really cool so it's like these are like fucking that's like as american as it gets as far as i'm concerned you're obese you're in a thong you're undulating you're fat on fremont street like that is fucking blue collar as fuck so that part of vegas i love like it's like how can we there's all this money people go there to spend money they want to spend their money they're like give me something to spend my money and people are like okay well let's give the people what they want we'll give them you know some something to spend their money on and it's just people are so creative in the way that they do it uh, on like an individual human level. Now, do I think like the casino magnets that are fucking raking in the cash are great people? No. And is that emblematic of, you know, the wealth gap and everything? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's there's also the wealth. The wealth gap smacks me in the face all the time everywhere. Like everywhere I go, there's the huge I rant about the condo plexes a lot, but there's always condo plexes going up. That's just like, is like wealth gap smacking me in the face. Like my friends are always like, oh, my rent just went up another $200, like wealth gap. Cause obviously blah, 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 foreign investors, blah, 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 predatory as fuck. Like people deserve, I think it's a human right to have like lodging over your head. And one of like my soapbox things that I talk about is like, you know, everyone talks about like, you gotta like be respectful of women and you know, like, don't objectify women and be good to women and all this stuff. But it's, like, young women especially are, get, like, the most screwed. Like, young urban professional women by making, like, rent prices just, like, absorbently high in, quote-unquote, good, safe neighborhoods. Like, so the only cheap rent is in, like, sketchy, like, a neighborhood that would be okay maybe for a single dude, but just, like, legitimately sketchy for a single girl, you know? Like, and I'm not... Yeah, like a girl could be like a she could learn Brazilian jiu-jitsu and stuff and and not, you know, not be worried about it, but like, you know, for most single women, it's like you want to be in a safe neighborhood. And also just for peace of mind, you don't want to be like catcall that and stuff and like just harassed. So, but then the rent prices in the nice neighborhoods are just like jacked up as much as the market will bear. Like that's nice so you're just trying to get as much as you possibly as much as people are able to pay so you have like this like young fresh energy coming out of college getting their first job which pays dick by the way usually like your first job out of college unless you know someone or your dad knows someone or something like you know if you're like the social media uh manager at like some fucking bodunk company like straight out of college you're not making shit tons of money and then your rent is like in order to live in a nice neighborhood you have to pay like fifteen hundred dollars because there's no longer affordable housing because there's just condo plexes being put up that aren't even intended to be lodging but are actually just sinks for foreign money uh that's gross so it's like yeah the wealth gap smacks you in the face no matter where you are it smacks you in the face in vegas but also vegas doesn't make any like they don't pretend they're like yeah it's fucking we're magnates and we're gonna get as much as we can and that's the way it is and 
I love that the uh, the NFL is moving to Las Vegas and it's the Raiders are going. Are going. So I just find that so apropos. So it's going to be the, the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be the NFL team. Um, very, very appropriate. So yeah, so I had a really good time in Las Vegas. Um, I wanted to do a live podcast. It didn't happen because there's just way too much background noise in Vegas. Um, everywhere you go, like it's just... It was just way too much background noise, and people were just—it it just wasn't happening. Uh, I could have like I could have put the recorder on, but it just would have sounded like. So, I don't know how you know if that's good radio or not. Maybe some people, maybe it's like ASMR for some people, like sc- screams, happy screams. I mean, I do like the sound of laughter. There was a lot of laughter, so maybe one day I'll just do like a podcast tidbit of just people laughing. I really love, I think laughter is like, what is the quote? It's not my quote. It's like, laughter is God's music. And I really think that's true. Like, the world needs more laughter. Like, real, genuine, light, happy laughter. Not like, ha, 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 but like, ha, 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 laughter. Um, so yeah, I laughed a lot, got really high, I smoked white t- Mike Tyson weed. I didn't overspend, which was amazing. Um, I ate like... I, I went to this one breakfast buffet and I paid like 12 bucks to get in and that you can just like, it's a buffet, it's all you can eat. And I took like three steps and then I saw they had like the the salmon, like the smoked salmon, the lox for like lox and bagels. And I was like, well, that's all I need to see. And I literally just like took the entire industrial tray of, of lox and just like shoveled it. I was hungry, like I hadn't really eaten properly in like two days. And uh, I was hungry, and so I literally just like shoveled like probably sixty, seventy-five dollars worth of smoked salmon onto my plate, and just like systematically consumed it like a bear swallowing salmon. The river, the mouth of the river. I put capers on there. It was great. It was carb-free. It's just I straight up just ate salmon and capers and tomatoes. Oh, it was so good. And I had to take a nap afterwards because I I gorged myself, but. I won out on that deal because I paid 12 bucks and I literally ate about $75 worth of locks. So that was a net win for me. And um, yeah, so anyways, I ate a bunch of really good seafood, like for cheap, like really yummy sushi. And like, I just ate seafood the whole time. It was great. Um, And I did try, I tried to eat responsibly. I know that the salmon was probably farmed salmon. So, you know, you do the best you can. I don't know. Um, I'd rather, obviously, you don't want to eat wild-caught Atlantic salmon because that's endangered. Um, I think wild-caught Pacific salmon, if it's ethically harvested, is okay. And but and the farm stuff is kind of like a mixed bag. But, you know, I, I do the best I can. I really genuinely do. And if, if you start getting stuck on, like, the ethical consequence of everything you do in this modern world, you lose your mind because it's just, like... It's a bit of a clusterfuck. Um, anyways, so yeah, the other thing I like about Vegas is it's got like this international flavor because people fly in there from literally all over the world. So you hear like Colombian accents and European accents and like Southeast Asian accents and just like there's just it's such a smorgasbord of everything. People from all corners of the country and uh, yeah, it's just great. I, I really enjoy talking to the housekeepers, like just asking them like what's the, some crazy shit they've seen. And uh, this one lady is like, oh, I've been invited to so many threesomes. Because <laughs> she, like, you know, like, you knock on the, they knock on the door, people don't hear the knock, and they're like, housekeeper, and then they come in, there's, like, 
shenanigans going on. <laughs> I'm like, damn. I'm like, did you participate? She's like, hell no. <laughs> so, yeah, I really love, I just, I like it. And I left my housekeepers a bunch of weed when I left as a tip and some money too. So, um, I was thinking about the, um, the, uh, Oh, why is my brain farting right now? Dr. Cornell West, how he said, like, how his grandma used to say that, like, if the kingdom of heaven is within you, then you should be leaving a little bit of heaven everywhere you go. And I think that's so beautiful. I try to live my life like that. Um, I don't always succeed. Literally, there's, like, tidbits in this podcast where I get, like, a little bit, a little bit negative Nancy, but I don't know. It's part of being real, I guess. Like, you just have to, sometimes you just have to vent and I think I I like I enjoy listening to people vent sometimes so sometimes I just got to vent as well anyways that's neither here nor there um that is my Vegas experience and there's no real real smooth segue for this but we're we're gonna get into the podcast but first um I wanted to play a clip uh again uh not not the smoothest segue I'll do a mantra to like segue into this Om Mani Padme 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 So before we get into the podcast I'd like to play a short clip of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. one of my heroes uh, a speech that he gave um, I, I can't find the exact year that he gave the speech so I apologize for that um, it's in the 60s at some point and uh, the gentleman who asks him the question is, his name is Tom Wicker. And Tom Wicker, I read a book by him. He's a New York Times correspondent. And he wrote uh, the book, A Time to Die, about the Attica prison riots, um, where the prisoners took over and they had a list of demands. Um, and he was a very, is a very moving book of his. He was, he was like writing a story on it, you know, and, and but he was very, very objective and very, um, you know, like sympathetic in like not just like knee-jerk way but like really in a deep way like really sympathizing with the plight of the prisoners and one of the things he said in that book that really stuck with me is he talks about when he was walking into the jail the prisoners had taken over like the central kind of courtyard and he was walking in and um he saw all the guards all the correctional officers and i think they had called in some some other the national guard had not been called yet at this point but there was plenty of people and lots of people with guns, like lots of people in authority positions with guns. And he was saying like, he's like, the problem with when, when people have all these guns is they want to use them. And like, it's the onus is on you to like convince them not to use the guns. And he was like really unnerved by that. And then spoiler alert, unfortunately at the end of the guns were used and a lot of people died. Um, it's the Attica prison riots, if you want to learn more about it. Um, super intense, fascinating. Anyway, so the guy that asks Martin Luther King a question uh, is Tom Wicker, who wrote the book. So Tom Wicker is like a 
he's like, oh, for that time, he was pretty woke, you know. So he's not trying to, like, get Martin Luther King. He's just trying to, like, set him up. He wants to hear what he has to say. And it's all about um, civil disobedience and when, when you should break the law in a nonviolent way, in a conscious way. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, uses the term cheerful. So you, you, you do acts of civil disobedience, you break unjust laws, and you do it cheerfully. And I really love that, and it really vibes with um, the idea, the Finnish idea of Sisu, because Sisu is all about cheerful, recognizing that life is full of problems and obstacles and challenges, and instead of being like, oh, fuck, like cheerfully attack each, each problem and realize that like, these are all gifts, like every problem that life throws at you is a gift in disguise, and it's there for like you to learn and your spirit to evolve. And um, so I wanted to play this short clip of Martin Luther King talking about civil disobedience. Um, and then I'm going to, on the next podcast, um, I'm going to ask the great Mona Morsi what she thinks about uh, like mass civil disobedience. And just like, I just want to, I want to brainstorm with people about like, because that's what it's going to take, you know, if we actually want to like change no matter like what your issue is whether it's ecological destruction or like for me I'm really really um I think like the wealth gap is just like really bad and it keeps getting worse and the only way that we are going to be able to like enact real change is if there's like mass like mass sustained non-violent civil disobedience in this country and I don't know what what is going to have to happen for people to like actually put down their smartphones or keep your smartphones but go out in the street like you know in the millions and and in a non-violent way in a cheerful way break the law break the unjust laws and and force um you know the the stakeholders that want the system to stay the same force change because uh, the the billionaires that are at the apex of our society are not going to change of their own volition um that's just a fact they are profiting from everything, like the system that's set up, all the weapons sales and, you know, the constant bickering and the blue state versus red state. There's like a very elite group of human beings that is like profiting indescribably immensely from. And it's like a global thing. Like this is a global phenomenon. Like, yes, you can look at the stats of the United States, how the 0.001% has the same uh, amount of wealth is like the bottom 50% and all that, but it's a global phenomenon. So like I am starting to, instead of just bitch and moan about this, like I'm really trying to like bring in like some sort of creative, like, all right, like we can change this, we can do it, but like, it's going to take a lot of, uh, yeah, creativity, imagination, strength, courage, nuance, uh, cheerfulness, it's gonna it, it's a mammoth undertaking um that we have in front of us but it's like what else is life for you know what i mean like we're, we're all here for a reason what else is life for and um so i just want to start doing my part which is like start envisioning this and really start like talking about it and um i just thought mona would be a good place to start just because i respect her so much and her her take on things so the next podcast episode is going to be mona and i for at least a little bit it's going to be like a little mini talk about how what does that look like now like how what does that look like in 2019 2020 um uh mass civil disobedience that is so disruptive um to the status quo and the powers that be that it actually does force real change 
real positive change and we can salvage our environment and save mother earth you know and and not just go tumbling into this abyss of hell like that would that would that's got to happen it's got to happen right because we all have young people in our lives we care about either kids our own children or you know our nieces and nephews just like all the you know kids that are just being like young kids right now they're innocent and they're inheriting this thing and it's like I just want to make sure when I'm on my deathbed I want to feel like I at least I really did like my best like the best I could to try to turn the ship around um yeah because I think that we can like live on a really beautiful planet and people can be good to each other and there doesn't have to be such a you know there doesn't it just doesn't have to be like the way it is I understand that people who do brain surgery like definitely should make more money than me like I get that but we don't have to have like this parasitic thing where you just have people like siphoning money and resources essentially life force siphoning it from from the economy from the world and hoarding it like villains like it's just that needs to go um that that all those resources need to be reallocated in a positive manner they can still have billions of dollars it's fine but they don't have to have like 800 billion dollars right they can have like 1 billion dollars it's fine and then the other 799 billion can be put to like making sure that people have clean water to drink and part of this is like we have to i'm not saying tear down the borders but we have to start recognizing that like we are one global community now it's not we are so past the time of like where it's cool to be like yeah well fuck them and those other countries not like no because it's we're all so intertwined in the global economy now like it's the globalism is here it's real it's not going anywhere like it, we are so interconnected now so we are going we have to like we have to make sure that people have clean water to drink you know what i mean like no no children or adults should be dying of of having to drink dirty water like i i had i saw that with my own eyes on the border of migrants having to drink dirty water um because they went like delirious with dehydration and they drank from these like sinks that the cows drink from there's a term for it that i can't think of right now but it's like dirty nasty water that the cows drink from and and they would drink from that like out of desperation and get really sick and we would come upon these people in the woods just like keeled i mean it was horrible like it was really awful um anyways so everyone deserves clean water everyone deserves a roof over their head i believe everyone deserves quality health care uh that's me i think that's a human right um there are human rights and we have to we have to start really like we have to like demand that people have access to the their their like right to exist you know what i mean like the right just to be to exist to not be harassed to you know not not have bombs dropped on them um so yeah so it's going to take a real herculean effort i think it it's going to boil down to like i said i'm repeating myself now but um yeah mass civil disobedience like the world has never seen before that's what we need to manifest and so i'm going to play this clip of martin luther king uh being way more eloquent than i could ever hope to be about it um and then we will get into the podcast much love peace
to meet the press. Please remember, questions of our panel do not necessarily reflect their own point of view. Here is your moderator, Ned Brooks. Resuming our interview, our guest today on Meet the Press is Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who is in San Francisco. On our panel of reporters in Washington, G.C., you have just met Lawrence Spivak. Our other reporters today are Tom Wickert of the New York Times, James J. Kilpatrick of the Richmond News Leader, and John Chancellor of NBC News. We'll continue the questions now with Mr. Wicker. Uh, Dr. King, you said a moment ago that Alabama was a state that uh, gives respectability to the resistance and defiance of the law. And you listed uh, uh, an observance of the law by local agencies in the South as one of the cardinal aims that you were seeking. Uh, yet on March the 9th, you led the second march on Montgomery in uh, violation of a federal injunction not to march. You said that order was unjust, and John Lewis, one of your colleagues, said that the Negroes had a constitutional right to march, injunction or no injunction. Now, was that in keeping with the spirit of nonviolence and the restraint that has always characterized your movement, and could you explain your reasoning in defying the court order that day? Well, let me say two things to that, Mr. Wicker. First, uh, I did not consider myself defying a court order that particular day. I consulted with my attorneys before the march, and they stated that uh, they felt that it was an invalid order and that uh, it would not uh, be, that I would not be in contempt of court uh, violating uh, the court order if I led the march uh, to the point of having a moral confrontation with the state troopers at the point where the people were brutalized on Sunday. So I still don't consider that uh, breaking a court order or breaking what I consider an unjust law. On the other hand, I must be honest enough to say uh, that I do feel that there are two types of laws. One is a just law and one is an unjust law. I think we all have moral obligations to obey just laws. On the other hand, I think we have moral obligations to disobey unjust laws because non-cooperation with evil is as much a moral obligation as is cooperation with good. I think the distinction here is that when one breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust, he must do it openly, he must do it cheerfully, he must do it lovingly, he must do it civilly, not uncivilly, and he must do it with a willingness to accept the penalty. And any man who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and willingly accepts the penalty by staying in jail in order to arouse the conscience of the community on the injustice of the law is at that moment expressing the very highest respect for law. Well, I can, I can sympathize with a good deal of that, but it seems to me you get into a very difficult point here uh, at which uh, one man's conscience is, is set, in fact, above the conscience of society, which, is, which has uh, invoked the law. Uh, how are we to uh, enforce law when a doctrine is preached that, that one man's conscience may tell him that the law is unjust when other men's conscience don't tell them that. I think you enforce it and I think you deal with it by not allowing anarchy to develop. I do not believe in defying the law. As many of the segregationists do, I do not believe in evading the law as many of the segregationists do. Uh, the fact is that most of the segregationists and racists that I see are not willing to suffer enough 
for their beliefs in segregation and uh, they are not willing to go to jail. I think the chief norm for guiding the situation is a willingness to accept the penalty. And I don't think any society can call an individual irresponsible who breaks the law and willingly accepts the penalty if conscience tells him that that law is unjust. And I think that uh, this is a long tradition in our society. It's a long tradition in biblical history. Uh, Medchak uh, uh, and Abednego broke an unjust law, and they did it because they had to be true to a higher moral law. Uh, the early Christians practiced civil disobedience in a superb manner. Academic freedom would not be a reality today if it had not been for Socrates and if it had not been for Socrates' willingness to practice civil disobedience. And I would say that in our own history, there's nothing that expresses uh, a massive civil disobedience any more than the Boston Tea Party, and yet we give this to our young people and our students as a part of the great tradition of our nation. So I think we're in good company when we break unjust laws, and I think those who are willing to do it and accept the penalty are those who are part of the saving of the nation. Drive 
following is a recitation of the poem, Let America Be America Again, by Langston Hughes, written in 1935. This poem is read by Gilberto Greywolf. Let America be America again. Let it be the dream it used to be. Let it be the pioneer on the plain seeking a home where he himself is free. America never was America to me. Let America be the dream the dreamers dreamed. Let it be that great strong land of love where never kings connive nor tyrants scheme that any man be crushed by one above. It never was America to me. Oh, let my land be a land where liberty is crowned with no false patriotic wreath. But opportunity is real, and life is free. Equality's in the air we breathe. There's never been equality for me, nor freedom in this homeland of the free. Say, who are you that mumbles in the dark? And who are you that draws your veil across the stars? I am the poor white, fooled and pushed apart. I am the Negro bearing slavery scars. I am the red man driven from the land. I am the immigrant clutching the hope I seek and finding only the same old stupid plan of dog-eat-dog, of mighty crush the weak. I am the young man full of strength and hope, tangled in that ancient endless chain of profit, power, gain, of grab the land, of grab the gold, of grab the ways of satisfying need of work the men, of take the pay, of owning everything for one's own greed. I am the farmer, bondsman to the soil. I am the worker sold to the machine. I am the Negro, servant to you all. I am the people humble, hungry, mean, hungry yet today despite the dream, beaten yet today. O oh, pioneers, I am the man who never got ahead the poorest worker bartered through the years. Yet I'm the one who dreamt our basic dream in the old world while still a surf of kings, who dreamt the dream so strong, so brave, so true, that even yet its mighty daring sings. In every brick and stone, 
In every furrow turned that's made America the land it has become. Oh, I'm the man who sailed those early seas in search of what I meant to be my home. For I'm the one who left dark Ireland's shore and Poland's plain and England's grassy lee and torn from black Africa's strand I came to build a homeland of the free. The free? Who said the free? Not me. Surely not me. The millions on relief today. The millions shot down when we strike. The millions who have nothing for our pay. For all the dreams we've dreamed. And all the songs we've sung. And all the hopes we've held. And all the flags we've hung. The millions who have nothing for our pay. Except the dream that's almost dead today. Oh, let America be America again, the land that never has been yet, and yet must be, the land where every man is free, the land that's mine, the poor man's, Indians, Negroes, me, who made America, whose sweat and blood, whose faith and pain, whose hand at the foundry, whose plow in the rain, must bring back our mighty dream again. Sure, call me any ugly name you choose. The steel of freedom does not stain. From those who live like leeches on the people's lives, we must take back our land again, America. Oh yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be. Out of the wreck and ruin of our gangster death, the rape and rot of graft, and stealth, and lies, we the people must redeem the land, the mines, the plants, the rivers, the mountains, and the endless plain, all, all the stretch of these great green states, and make America again. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this solo podcast here on Barbarian Noetics. I'm Conan Tanner, and uh, if you hear a sound of drilling in the background, it is my neighbor who um, is 
doing some sort of mysterious construction project with some kind of pneumatic drill and it just uh, started as soon as I hit record um, or actually like three minutes before I actually physically hit record but I had it in my mind that I was going to record um, I was like doing my last couple things before I would actually hit record and then that's when the pneumatic drilling jackhammer sound started uh, so just wanted to give you guys a heads up this is how much I love y'all though. It's hot as balls right now in Phoenix, but I have the air conditioner off for the duration of this recording because I don't want to have the annoying buzzing sound in the background. So, uh, you know, you, you win a little, you lose a little, you break even. No air conditioned sound. I'm a little hotter than usual uh, inside anyways, and, but there is the nomadic jackhammer sound emanating from my neighbor outside. Um, he's a good guy though, so I'm not like complaining. I mean, it's completely reasonable that he would be working on a project right now. It's 11:55 a.m. on a uh, on a Tuesday, so I mean, it's not like it's like two in the morning on like a you know a Monday. Uh, pretty reasonable time to do work. So uh, it's just what it is. It is what it is. We'll see what happens. We'll see how many airplanes fly overhead. We'll see how many times the jackhammer enters into the recording, and uh, but at least. There's no AC, at least not in the front room. You might hear the AC in the back room. I'm sorry. I need at least one AC on or else it's going to be like 130 degrees in my apartment. And I guess I could do a podcast at 130 degrees, um, but I don't think it would be very good. I think it would be interesting, I guess, but uh, I don't think it would be that great. Uh, But maybe I'll put that on the table, 130 degree podcast, where I just let my apartment bake in the sun for like three straight days and then do a podcast inside. Um, I'd have to do something with my plants is the only thing with that, but uh, we'll figure it out. I could do a podcast from inside an oven. I could stick my head in an oven while I record and see how that does, um, see if it, like, speeds up my thought process. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, so a few things. I I'm, This is going to be kind of a mishmash episode of just stuff that's on my mind, observations, all that kind of stuff since last time. Thank you, as always, to my Patreon supporters. I really appreciate you guys. You guys drive the engine uh, that kind of motivates me to get the episodes out. And um, this, I think it's been more than two weeks since my last episode. Um, I, I just have had a very busy uh, last couple weeks. I uh, went to Las Vegas for a friend's wedding for four days, which I'm going to talk about Vegas um, in one of my snippets. And I wanted to do a live podcast from Vegas, but talk about background noise. There's just always way too much background noise in that entire city. Um, and then I'm going out of town in a couple days as well to help my folks move. They're going to move out here to Phoenix, and I'm helping them move. So just like airplanes and packing and, and then my two jobs. It's been busy. Um, so anyways, thanks for your patience, and here we are. We're doing it. Um, the first thing I want to talk about, I guess, is um, so my I have two jobs. One job is a independent coffee shop, and the other job is a very successful national nonprofit, which I will remain nameless. Um, and so the independent shop is like it's only been open for a year and a half, and you know I know how hard it is when you first start a new business for like the first couple years. And um, but it was just my one year anniversary of working there and they gave me a raise, which I just thought was so sweet and generous and it really touched me. Um, And it got me thinking about like how important that is, like that human element, the kindness element. Like I understand the certain efficacies, efficiencies of the free market, 
Um, and I do think that you can use the free market to, to drive change if you can somehow, the con if the consciousness changes, that's really what needs to happen is we need to have a shift of consciousness, then we can use the free market to, you know, like uh, develop really kick-ass uh, solar technology ways to transfer over to cleaner en energy, you know? Um, what if the free market drove ways to like repurpose nuclear waste or something, you know? If the free market is directed in a positive way, I think it's okay to use humans' inherent sort of selfishness. And I don't say that in a bad way necessarily. I think we are selves. We are, you know what I mean? Like we are each selves. Otherwise, we would just be blurred into each other. Um, and I realize in the quantum field we are, but for all intents and purposes, for our sensory experience, we have selves. So it's not the end of the world to be a little selfish because you have to preserve yourself, I guess, and to propagate the species or whatever. Um, so, you know, I think it's okay that people like to have nice things and, you know, even if people, I don't really get the whole status thing, but even if you're motivated by status or whatever, you're motivated, uh, you want to accumulate wealth, it makes you feel good, and so that motivation is really powerful, and so that's the whole, what drives the free market thing, is people just coming up with like ideas and new developments and technologies and inventions that basically generate wealth for them, and then other kind of like vampiric parasites that sort of like then siphon that wealth off for themselves, but you know, all good. And honestly, like what I'm saying is, okay, it's okay to be selfish, but not an asshole. You know what I mean? So like shift of consciousness would be, um, well, we're going to make a bunch of money mining for rare earths uh, in this country that is like in, you know, disrepair and doesn't really have a strong regulatory agency. But we're going to be poisoning like three rivers in the process and probably indirectly uh, either killing or making sick, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people. But I'm going to do it anyway because I want the money from the rare earths. Like, that's being an asshole. So if we had the shift of consciousness and instead it was like, all right, so uh, we do need some rare earths for our technology, um, but we are going to put human, the human reality, human kindness, human decency, really. Uh, we're going to put the golden rule first, which is, you know, the whole do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. So we are going to then develop some sort of way to... Um, mine the rare earths in a cleaner fashion, uh, do environmental remediation, take steps to mitigate pollution, all these types of things would be, if there was the shift of consciousness, there would be like a market-driven impetus for that type of development, um, that type of ethical business. So really, it boils down to a shift of consciousness, and then also I think it boils down to we need to start tapering off our population. So, like, some of us can have babies, but not all of us, and if you do have babies, you maybe should only have, like, one or two. Like, you shouldn't probably have, like, six babies, because um, the Earth can't sustain that anymore. Like, we're at, we're pushing it. We're pushing the limit. So you need, and, and if there was this shift of consciousness, I think people would naturally realize that we have to taper off our population. Um, you know, maybe there would be more like uh, even more same-sex couples and stuff like that just as like an evolutionary thing. Um, we would just be less driven to reproduce, maybe more driven to like make the planet a beautiful place, like make it a dreamlike place. Um, I don't know if utopia is necessarily possible, but if we all followed the golden rule 
uh, that it would be a pretty beautiful place to live because you couldn't just, you know, poison rivers to make a couple million bucks. Um, you wouldn't do that. You even might have the have the awareness of like, okay, we need to even give a voice to the river, even though the river doesn't speak English or whatever. Uh, what would the river say if it was here to negotiate this business deal? It would be like, well, you know, I have a lot of fish and organisms that are dependent on me and my ecosystem. So if you could not just like poison me, um, that would be pretty sweet. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd have like a council of the beings. So it'd be like, we'd have someone speaking for like the bears and someone speaking for the salmon. And I mean, that could be pretty cool. Actually, that could be like a shamanic shapeshifter kind of thing where people are like, like you go to university to become a salmon speaker and you have to study how the salmon live and how they think to where you feel like you are capable of speaking for them. And maybe you would um, take a hallucinogenic uh, substance before you spoke for them as well to further the transformation. I'm just spitballing here, you know what I mean? But um, point is, we need a shift of, shift of consciousness first, then uh, everything else will follow from there. And so that's why I was so touched by the fact that this um, independent shop, uh, which is still within its first two years of business, would be kind enough and generous enough and selfless enough to give me a raise, you know, because we're not talking about like Starbucks at this point. There's just one shop. and. Um, that was really kind. And then on the other hand, my other job is for like a super well-resourced national nonprofit, like I said. And I put nonprofit in quotes because uh, I've worked so much in the nonprofit sphere now and I see how it is. And it's basically like nonprofits are essentially corporations that they're, they're like, they trade in like, in in helping people which is good you know so the, the organization I work for does necess does totally help people and that's awesome but there's also a lot of top heavy like you know uh, the the money is um, unequally divided among the organization the people at the top are making like a lot of money like I'm not talking like a I'm not talking like making a good living like they drive Lexuses and Mercedes and, sh and stuff and they have like you know really nice houses, um, that type of wealth. And so me, I'm, I'm just the weekends and evenings guy. And, um, even though I have to do all the same responsibilities as the, the full-time people, I do it on the weekends and evenings. And I guess that somehow like devalues me, uh, in the eyes of the organization. So I'm still making essentially minimum wage, even though I've worked there for five years, they've never once given me a raise, not once. In fact, um, they've taken hours away so that I don't go into overtime so that no one in the organization ever goes into overtime even if we take a shift if we, even even if we help out by covering someone else's shift we still won't go into overtime so everyone was slashed to like 30 hours or less a week um and so that's like that's on the other side of the coin and it's like you know like I said they're incredibly well resourced they have all this money um corporations just like line up to sign checks to them like it's nuts and yet there's this scarcity mindset of like well we got to keep labor costs down so let's make sure you know we keep the weekends and evenings people like never going into overtime overtime costs them six dollars an hour by the way so even if i went 10 hours of overtime in one week it would cost them 60 bucks uh, we're talking people at the top of me are pulling like 250k you know what i'm saying so um it's insulting, basically. 
<laughs> and demoralizing. So that's another reason why when, um, you know, the little independent coffee shop showed such kindness to me, it really moves me because it's in juxtaposition to this other thing which I need for my health insurance. And it does, I do help people, you know what I mean? But I'm also trying to make a living, trying to like, I have financial goals or whatever. And um, yeah, I worked for them all the way back in 2007. And then I took a break and then came back. And I'm making less now than I did in 2007 for them. So instead of giving raises, they actually find ways to reduce, um, just like nickel and dime, their non-managerial employees, even though the non-managerial employees have all the same responsibilities, essentially, as the managers. So good time. So I, I feel like that just got me thinking in general about um, the shift of consciousness that needs to happen. Like, there needs to be an infusion of humanity into whatever our capitalist system is. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's capitalism. It's just the, the wealth gap right now is so absurd that I don't, it's like oligarchical capitalism or whatever. There's just like a few players that have so many billions of dollars that they have to find creative ways to sink the funds and clean them and launder them through Swiss banks and shit. And then the rest of us are just like trying to save up money. Like I'm literally trying to save up 10 grand so I can put a deposit down on a plot of land. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even talking about a house. I'm literally just trying to save to buy a plot of land and I work six days a week and, uh, I'm, I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm making very slow progress on that goal. So it's like, What's going on here? Why is it uh, so difficult for so many of us? And then, you know, there's these, what is it, 0.001% of Americans have the same amount of wealth as like the bottom 50% or something like that. It just keeps growing more and more because obviously if you have that many billions of dollars, those are the people who can build the condo plexes along Central Park. They cost like, you know, millions and millions of dollars and there's like multiple banks financing them because it's such a fucking endeavor can't even just be one bank it's this conglomeration like it takes a certain amount of wealth to be able to invest like that to build like that and um yeah so i feel like it's just you know the whole rich get richer and the poor get pork type thing but if we could if we could shift our consciousness collectively and realize that uh, money is a necessity i guess i don't know if it really is but let's just assume money is a necessity humans need like some sort of third-party currency to in order to figure out how to give things to each other and trade goods um and but first like the most important thing is the human experience and like greatest possible well-being um i won't even say happiness i'll just say like greatest possible um uh capacity of humans to just like take care of their basic needs and maybe have like a little bit of fun so lodging healthcare, um food like being able to afford good food quality food organic food and maybe being able to go out like once every two weeks or something spend like a couple hundred bucks um so that would be like if that if that were prioritized then like people could still be selfish but they wouldn't be assholes so that's what we need we need we need to realize that like selfishness is not a dirty word but being an asshole is. Um, so true selfishness is realizing that yourself is actually intertwined with all the other beings and including people on the planet, but we're also intertwined with the insects and the flowers and the, and the wind and the air. 
Um, the water, obviously, we're mostly water. We're very intertwined with the water, and yet we pollute, you know, the rivers like crazy and dam them up and stuff. And, um, so, yeah. So, basically, hats off to the little independent coffee shop. Uh, it's called Esso Coffee. If you're ever in Phoenix, you should definitely check it out. It's on the corner of 12th Street and Highland in Midtown. Um, they thank you for like brightening my day, giving me hope um, that even though that seems to be kind of the minority of business owners treat their employees well, that at least there is like an example out there for others to follow. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. So uh, just one more thing about the um, my one super hyper-corporatized nonprofit gig. Uh, I just, I don't want it to be all about me just like bitching about my one job, but I think that it's like allegorical of something that is a greater trend in our society and um, that just kind of, so nothing happens in a vacuum, right? So like when, for example, like our entire economy is based on selling weapons to the world. So we don't care where the weapons go to, we just care that they get sold. If you build an umbrella, you need it to rain, right? So we foment war and conflict all over the world so we can sell our weapons everywhere. Like, um, and then we also like pillage uh, the resources of uh, nations that we sell them the weapons so they can destroy themselves or we like indirectly or directly or covertly or, or uh, covertly or overtly, you know, uh, desecrate their lands and then we pillage their resources um this has an effect on like our society here at home it doesn't just like you can't just have an entire war economy and an entire nation completely like taken over by the military industrial complex and expect to have like no repercussions at all domestically in terms of socially and stuff so it's like oh yeah we have all these psychotic like kids on uh psychoactive you know, pharmaceutical drugs shooting up schools. Like, well, yeah, because how long have we been at war? Like, we've been consistently, we've been at war constantly now since 
since 2001. Like, and even before that, we were bomb. Clinton was bombing pharmaceutical plants in the Sudan and shit, aspirin factories and shit like that. Like, so it's like, yeah, we have our society is like every nook and cranny is just kind of like uh, inundated with violence. And so, okay, so the same go- goes true for the corporatiz corp. How do you say that word? Corporatization, corporatization of our our businesses, like. So I was born in 1982. I don't remember what it was like in the 60s and shit, but I imagine there was like lots of mom and pop shops and, you know, like you knew the guy that ran the hardware store and, you know, you went, thank God there's still like at least farmer's markets, but you know what I mean? Like before the advent of the big box stores, Walmarts and Targets and Starbucks is, you know, predatorily destroying all the, uh, the mom and pop shops and um, pricing them out of existence. Uh, by taking advantage of slave labor around the world. Um, so, like, so here I work at this nonprofit, right? We're supposed to be helping people. It's supposed to be about, like, relating to people and helping people. And we're not dealing with big money. Like, I, we literally have $100 of petty cash at one time. Well, $100 of petty cash, all right? It's usually split up into fives. And it's, like, occasionally a family will, like, you know... Uh, make a donation and you know we give them like five dollars and change back or whatever so the protocol for you know the past like 10 years has just been you show up to your shift and you just count and make sure there's a hundred dollars there in the petty cash okay pretty easy right there's never been an issue there's never once been an issue people aren't stealing twenty dollars from the hundred dollar petty cash it's just ridiculous but now there's new people in and you know they have to make their mark and so it's like now we have like uh, this whole like additional paperwork we have to fill out where it's like for like our auditing or whatever. We have to be like, yup, there's a hundred dollars in the petty cash and here's a paperwork form to prove it. Here's a copy, put it in the file cap and blah. And it's just like, all right, like what is happening here? And so I've been thinking about it. Like what, what the fuck is happening here? What's happening is it's basically the dist- the desecration and the de- degradation of the American imagination. So there is the imagination is dying at the hands of the corporate state. And so everyone's climbing on top of each other like ants climbing on dead bodies of other ants trying to like climb the rungs of the of the company. Like literally at the last meeting we had this lady who just got promoted, she literally was like like we're going to have an icebreaker and we're going to go around and and t- everyone's going to say like, you know, um how they how long they've been with the organization and stuff like that and what house they work at and she's like i've been climbing my way up through the organization like she actually said that i'm like well that's charming like you're not even you're you're just overtly stating that that's been your goal even though supposedly again this is about like helping people in need you know what i mean nope it's about climbing your way through the organization through this quote-unquote nonprofit. So that you can then institute uh, new paperwork policies <clears throat> for the $100 petty cash. So it just like, it makes me want to barf in my mouth every time I think about it. And it's, it's indicative of like, okay, so you get into a new position. First off, it's a lack of imagination to even think that you have to make a change. Like, you don't necessarily have to make a bunch of changes right off the bat just because you get promoted. Like, shouldn't you want to like step back and kind of like observe things and see how things work and, you know, like maybe maybe do something to boost morale like how about that like 
you know, maybe maybe don't be so uptight about like your your lowly low level employees getting six dollars an hour extra because a couple hours of overtime every paycheck. Nope. Instead, we're gonna put forth more bullshit paperwork to audit the hundred dollars of petty cash we have at the beginning of every shift. And so, you know, that's a lot of things. It's like fear based. It's scarcity based. It's this idea. It's very suspicious and distrustful. Like when you hear that as an employee, it like demoralizes you because you're like, oh great, so you're so suspicious of the fact that I'm gonna be like pilfering five dollar bills from the hundred dollar petty cash bank that I have to fill out this form for who are these mysterious people auditing this you know what i mean like is the irs really concerned are our donors really concerned about the hundred dollars of petty cash at the beginning of every shift like is that really going to be a deal breaker like what are we doing here what are we doing we're supposed to be helping people right it's just so irritating to me and so i think just like the fact that because we live in a um, basically a, a massive uh military base with like you know, basically we're just like the engines for military world domination. The only thing that's keeping our society right now functioning is just the end of the gun. The fact that we have the hugest military the world's ever known. The dollar is depreciating. China's outperforming us in every imaginable category. Um, the only thing we have now is, is just this ridiculously bloated military. And then it's like, oh, well, people seem to be violent. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, I wonder why, you know, like, I wonder why there aren't school shootings in Sweden, maybe because they're not trying to take over the world and pillage, you know, like, uh, impoverished nations of their resources. It's just like, it's, sorry, this is a little, I'm getting a little worked up over here, but it's just like, I just, I sit back sometimes and I look at things and I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? <clears throat> like, this organization, I've been, like I said, I've been with them since 2007, on and off, so I've seen the the quote-unquote evolution, I would call it the devolution over the 12 years. Like, when I started, it was all about, like, hey, like, you know, um, tell us about yourselves, like, why are you interested in doing this kind of work, like, um, you know, what, what kind of leads you to the nonprofit sector. Now it's just like, what do you bring to the table in terms of your, meh, your ability to create paperwork forms for employees so they don't steal $5 bills? Like, it's just... It's so anyway, so I have at the, the uh, one, one spot I work at, there's this really wonderful volunteer and she's a listener to the show. Hello. Um, I won't say your name. We'll call her. Um, we'll call her uh, Pamela. Pamela, wonderful volunteer, beautiful lady. And, you know, she was saying the other day, she's like, she was talking about how like a lot of the people that she interacts with in the organization, like the, you know, the uppers or whatever they seem really like uptight and she's like aren't aren't we just here to like help people like aren't we just here for the for the people we're trying to help and I'm like yeah we are you know like but somehow that just gets completely lost in the equation and people have no imagination they have no like there's no creativity there's no like there's no like art artistic nuance to anything anymore it's all just following this scarcity fear-based mindset that you have to leave like you have to just create bureaucracy. That's the other thing. It's like fetishizing bureaucracy. I realize that that's, that's basically how to be successful in this world. If you fetishize bureaucracy, if you honestly like get hot over paperwork, then you're set because that's like what apparently that's what employers are looking for. They just want people to get super hot over paperwork, just can't wait, have nothing else going on in their lives whatsoever, have no social life, have no love life. They, they just like they go home and they think about more forms they can create for the for the employees that you know and it's like 
why are you so suspicious that I'm stealing this money? Are you stealing the money? You know what I mean? Like, what even gives you that idea? Like, we've never had money disappear before. So who, where is the suspicion coming from? Have you been watching too much late night CSI? You know, which is another thing. Like, I used to work, I, I mentioned I used to work at this uh, foster care home for kids, like traumatized youth, LGBTQ youth, like talking about like survivors of like serious sexual abuse and stuff. And the woman who ran the house, she was obsessed with CSI, Special Crimes Unit, SVU or whatever the fuck. Like the most, it's like a television show about the most horrific sex crimes imaginable. And these idiot morons from Hollywood are solving it. And she was so obsessed with the show that she would literally create events where the kids would watch CS Special Victims Unit with her in her room. I'm like, so you just hear like blood curdling screams and like girls crying and shit from the other room. And I'm like, what the fuck? are we doing right now like these are all kids that are literally like survivors of sexual abuse you're watching a show about sexual abuse like what are we what's what's your problem like what is your deal that you are so obsessed with this you know what i mean i think we all need to do a bunch of soul searching i'm not saying i'm above it like i i realize i have to do a bunch of soul searching too like why am i so kind of like worked up right now why don't i just leave my job um that's a good question like i said i do need the health insurance and here's the thing the actual people that we serve, so I make dick face donuts. I make nothing. I like barely can survive in the industrial district. I'm trying to save up money to buy a plot of land. I drive a 2004 scooter, you know, with a carburetor. It like doesn't start when it rains. Like it's just like, but when I talk to the people that I actually help, they're always like, thank you so much. We didn't, we, we, you know, we did, we, we don't know what we would have done without you guys. Like you really helped us so much, you know? So it's like, so that's like the weird dichotomy of it is like this organization is a really great organization and I, I tip my hat to the people that started it. It started in the 70s. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about it because I want to preserve some, some semblance of anonymity here. But like it's just that's what we should be focusing on. We should be focusing on like the human people, the human emotions, like people dealing with grief and loss and 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 challenges and why are we not why why am i like seen as this like uh this like ne'er-do-well that's going to be pilfering five dollar bills like why i've been with the organization since 2007 i've never pilfered a five dollar bill ever like what is the deal like why are we not just focusing on like how can we make the experience honestly better and whenever I talk to the families, they're always like, we really appreciate that you like are just like real with us and authentic with us and you're not all like uptight. They're like, everyone else around here is so uptight. I'm like, yeah, like, cause I wear shorts instead of pants. I live in the desert, so I wear shorts to work instead of pants. Like, therefore I'm like not like managerial material or whatever. Cause I like to wear shorts. Like, it's just like, that's what people want, dude. Like who are the people in this country? Like, it's not just a bunch of fucking like, CEOs eating caviar like it's like people in Appalachia like using old folk medicine from their great-grandparents because they don't have health insurance and fucking people on like the panhandle of Florida like eating oysters out of the ocean and people in Kansas just like rooting for the Jayhawks in basketball and going to work in the factory like this country is not made up out of the elites but somehow it's like we're being infected by this like it's the militarization and the corporatization of our entire society it's filling every little nook and cranny that is our enemy that's what we have to fight against like and maybe that's the wrong terminology for it like maybe i don't know how else to say it like like what what You're supposed to like go with the flow like these people don't go with the flow they're just constant i feel like 
every year that passes, just like a screw gets tightened and like it just kind of becomes like more about the sort of fucking, you know, uh, policies of the people in charge and the whole goal is you want to be the one that's in charge and it's just like why don't we just be good to each other and just chill the fuck out you know like that would be nice anyways this was kind of a little bit more worked up than I usually get on here but um you know like I said I always have to be authentic and this is where I'm at this morning so uh, and this I am gonna get this episode out soon I promise I've been working on it really hard I've been having to travel a bunch um, solo episodes are always hard for me and stuff it's coming it's going to come out real soon i I apologize that it's a little bit later this time thank you so much for your patience i really appreciate every one of you um like i said my happy beautiful coffee shop that i work for like you know they give me hope because they treat me well respectfully selflessly and you know it's not like all gloom and doom out there but you know they're also competing against like howard schultz and fucking starbucks you know that like is actively trying to put out of business any competitor and obviously like if you're like a small little startup like you know one uh shop like you're you know you're especially susceptible to that sort of like predatory capitalism so it's like it's just like fuck dude like why is it why does it have to be so difficult just to be like a decent human being why does it all have to be about like and obviously i Well, obviously I don't. I'm actually not an economist at all. I'm pretty dumb about it. But I I understand that, like, when you have a model of infinite growth where you have to increase profits every single quarter or else you have, like, a bunch of angry shareholders with pitchforks trying to, like, tear you down from your position, like, yeah, that does create a scarcity mindset, you know? But it's like, when you work for a nonprofit, I thought we didn't have to create increased profits. So here's the lack of imagination, lack of creativity. It's like you don't have to increase your profits, so, but you have to increase your paperwork. You have to increase your forms. You have to somehow make it more fucking, you know, like more of the trappings of the corporation have to be put in place. That's like the goal somehow. It really pisses me off. Um, anyways, all right, I think this rant is done. Um, my next little tidbit will be more upbeat. Maybe. I don't know. This might be kind of an intense show. <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just where I'm at right now. But uh, I love y'all. All right. Peace.
The following is a poem by Rainer Maria Rilke called The Rose Window. The Rose Window. In there, their paws with soundless, lazy steps create in stillness a confusing stir. And then how suddenly on one of the cats your glance moves to and fro. And then aware, compellingly, in her great eyes she takes the glance, which, as by a maelstrom caught fast, swims for a little while and then sinks, and of itself has no more consciousness. When these eyes, which are seemingly at rest, open, and, as with a roar, together close, drawing the gaze into the very blood. So out of darkness once in times long past, the great cathedral's glowing window rose, thus seized a heart and drew it unto God. What is that force that compels us to make art? Art seems to be a necessity of life. We seem to shrivel and die without it. So what is it that actually drives us to create it? What is that force that compels us? It's the monsoon season in Phoenix. We just had a massive lightning storm. And I sat outside as the, the winds kicked up and dust storm hit. You could hear the thunder in the distance and then the lightning striking all around. Flashes of brilliant light the sound of the wind. We need to resurrect the art. The artistic way of living. Creativity for the sake of creativity. Creativity because we must create and creativity in all aspects of our lives. May we inspire each other. May we help each other overcome the mundane and the drivel and the demoralizing and rise above it all and transcend it all through art and make every moment and every day a work of art. Much love, everybody. Until next time. Peace.